Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. This week, my guest is Jennifer Petrie. Jennifer is the head volleyball coach at the University of San Diego. Jennifer has been at San Diego for 24 seasons and has led her teams to the NCAA tournament 22 of those 24 seasons. This past fall, she was named the ABCA National Coach of the Year when she led her team to the Final Four. During part one of our conversation, Jennifer and I talked about her philosophy of scheduling, the values of her program, the weekly roadmap, and much, much more. So without further ado, my conversation with Jennifer Petrie. Jennifer, thanks for taking time out to to join us today. Why don't you walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, so yeah, let's start. Um, you're asking me to go all the way back in the archives. Um, I grew up in San Diego, which is first and foremost, um, a true benefit of where I am right now. I'm sitting, um, at the university of San Diego, which is a dream to be able to live and coach where your family and you grew up and we all reside. So I'm very fortunate in that regard, but I played volleyball here, um, uh, my high school went to Mount Carmel High School. I played for San Diego Volleyball Club, which at the time was the only club really in San Diego. Now you've got, you know, numerous clubs here. So it's you can see how the sport's really taken off. But um, I had the extreme fortune of being coached by John Cook, um, who's now the head coach in Nebraska. I think that his name is pretty synonymous with um, volleyball success. So um, to have him as a club coach in my youth was um, extremely instrumental in just getting me um, to really embrace volleyball as, as a passion for mine and going forward. So um, had him in club, didn't know that you could you know go on and play in college. I think that was a surprise to me and my parents at the time. <laughs> um, started getting recruited, played um, for William & Mary in Virginia. And I played for Debbie Hill there, who um, was such a mentor to me. Even to this day, she's such a huge power in my life. Um, and really um, a, a new lens for me to see what coaching was um, and how it could be. Um, she's extremely nurturing. Uh, and it was a polar opposite to being um, with somebody that was having us corner up and very structured and and to somebody that was like, okay, let's have a check-in before practice and see how everyone's doing. It was it was two very different approaches. Um, both um, I've taken a lot from. Um, after playing there for four years, I um, just wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, to be honest, and decided, you know, I should stay in volleyball and maybe go back to school and got the first assistant coaching job at Indiana State. Um, sight unseen, just got off the airplane there. Hadn't, you know, she interviewed me on the phone, got off the the airplane, got picked up by a a car company, an Acura dealer, because I didn't have a car. I went and signed the papers, drove myself to Terre Haute, checked into the Boston Connection, the Larry Bird Hotel. And um, at that point was just looked around and said, wow, 
I, you know, I, I'm not in Kansas anymore. It was a total different um, opportunity for me. Spent a season there. Um, after that season, um, was fortunate to go work at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill with Joe Segula, who just recently retired. Um, learned so much from Joe, his extremely organized individual, um, very meticulous and process oriented, um, and spent four seasons with him in North Carolina before um, interviewing and have the opportunity to come back to um, San Diego, just where I am now. And I've been for the last 25 years. And you were an assistant the first couple of years when you went back to San Diego, correct? I was, yes. I um, She had, um, when I got the job as her assistant, it was the first full-time assistant position that they had here at USD. Um, so I spent two years with her, with Sue Snyder, Sue Hegerly, um, a very well-renowned volleyball player in her own right. Um, but I got to be with her for two seasons. And then unbeknownst to me, she decided to retire from coaching and I looked around and said, wow, I really hope that I have the opportunity to continue on with this great program that she had established. So um, thanks for walking us through that. I'd be curious for you to compare <clears throat> um, your experience with how John Cook led. I know it was club. It wasn't college, but yet how John Cook led versus Debbie Hill at William and Mary. Yeah, that was it was so formative for me because John was very. Um, numbers driven, um, goal driven. We were, you know, player of the week, uh, wearing special jerseys. If you were the, um, you know, player of the tournament, um, it, even at that age, I mean, we went up to Julian to train in higher altitude for junior Olympics, which was at Colorado state. So it was, we were run, um, much like I had, you know, transitioning to college and then into coaching was really <clears throat> an easy process for me because of the way we trained and, you know, the vision that we had for beating sports performance, who was number one in the country at that time. And, um, it was, um, very structured and I went to William and Mary and this is what's really actually interesting. Cause my first season at William and Mary, Debbie Hill had, um, a baby, uh, Camilla Hill, and she took that season off. Mm. Um, and so the first assistant, um, you know, coached us for that first season. And that was my first experience of seeing how a female coach really put a prior premium on um, her family, which was um, really eye-opening and refreshing to see as a young um, athlete. Um, she came back and I and developed these tremendous relationships with her players. And um, she was at William Mary for over 30 years She's a godmother of volleyball now and just has a, the, the ability and the knack of creating connection and care and um, really, you know, holistically looking at you more than just an athlete, but as a person as well. And yeah, it sounds like she was ahead of her time a little bit. Early 90s, check doing a check in in the early 90s was like, what are right? we doing here? Well, now it, it needs to be a normal thing. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's spot on that she just she she knew that to getting us to buy into what, um, you know, her vision, she needed us to be on know that she cared about us as individuals. Yeah. So was there do you remember a moment? I know you'd mentioned you got done playing and you're like, OK, I feel like I want to stay in volleyball. Do you remember a moment um, where you're like, I think I I think I would like to coach? 
Yeah, I think that um, after being with Joe for four years at North Carolina, I mean, we had some, I mean, I realized that the ups and downs, the wins and the losses, um, I'm, you know, extremely competitive nature and realizing that, you know, like a nine to five job for me just wasn't going to fulfill and be rewarding as, you know, getting to know these athletes and staying on this perpetual journey starting of January every year, year to December and creating and recreating sustaining success. That was um, the challenge of that really appealed to me. Yeah. And so what was the connection? So you go from Indiana State as your first year and you only stay there one year to all of a sudden you're going to University of North Carolina. Was there a connection? How'd that work out? Well, very fortunately, um, Debbie Hill was a good friend of Joe Segula and she helped me um, secure that job and, you know, said, hey, Joe, you should take a look at this young coach. Um, You know, I think she's she'd be chomping at the bit to come and work with you. And uh, he took a leap because, yeah, I was very, I mean, one season of coaching. But that was really back in a time when everybody had one assistant. You know, now these staffs are made up of, you know, 10, 12. I mean, they're huge, right? And it was like this one person was, you know, wore so many hats, jack of all trades, had to do everything. Um, And it was an opportunity to really, um, you know, try to try yourself and master all sorts of different areas. I also got to get my master's degree while I was at UNC in sports administration. So I was getting, um, you know, I was learning from all sorts of different areas in that time. Describe uh, Joe Segula. What was he like as a leader? Joe Segula, like he, I mean, I got there and everything was so well organized, color coded. We had files, filing systems for everything. He had his um, practices done on paper with pencil and it was just so everything was so linear and um, crisp and organized. And I was just really taken back by how, you know, I showed up and practice plans before that were just like on the fly. And it was um, the structure of what the week looked like and the process looked like was um, really laid out and well thought out. Yeah. Okay. So you've had John Cook, who sounds like he was cutting edge, always looking for an edge you know, very right. progressive. You yeah. had Debbie Hill, who's uber relational. You have uh, Joe Segula, who's super organized. Describe yourself. What Give us insight into how you lead. Yes. And then I had Sue. I have to say that Sue also was such a huge <clears throat> impact in me because she is just sheer competitor. Like, hmm. was like she, we came in and she just, she ran this team and won two conference championships back to back while I was the assistant. And all really due to the fact that she just um, valued winning above all else. And it, it didn't matter if it was, um, you know, we were playing ping pong. It, it, we could be, you know, running the horseshoe, at, you know, whoever was first, the premium on being um, always competing, mm. which is one of our pillars today, um, really also shaped that. So, yeah, I feel like I have I'm a I'm a supreme blend of a lot of the people that I've been um, had the fortune to be exposed to. Um, because I have had now, um, I really believe in the relationship aspect of, of coaching and leadership and feeling that these athletes will work for you if they don't want to let you down because they really appreciate and value the fact that, um, you know, I care about them on and off the court in in both spaces. Um, I'm very competitive, um, which I think came from John and from Sue, where, you know, we will have a leaderboard, we'll have areas that they know that 
um, I care about you, but I'm going to make the best decisions that I can because we want to win. And just because you're liked doesn't mean that you're going to earn a starting spot. Doesn't mean that, um, you know, you're going to be in the lineup for this weekend. Um, So I think that it's a pretty, pretty big blend of, of approaches. Yeah. Um, I'm always fascinated with strengths and then constraints with, with leaders. Um, If you had to list, or let let me, let me phrase the question like this. If I were to sit down with your team and said, what, what are, what are coaches strengths? What would, what would your team say? Or what do you think they'd say? That sounds very boastful, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here's no, I get that every time. Most people are like, man, that's hard to say. But at the end of the day, here's what I do like about asking it is because when you share your strengths and then when you share your constraints, I think what it does is when 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 other people hear that, the self-awareness in my mind is so huge to know who you are, to actually know what your strengths are, because we right. I, I've just learned coaches, coaches get in ruts, coaches get turned upside down, they lose confidence. And so constantly mm-hmm. recalibrating Dude. back to this is who I am. And yeah. so it does sound boastful, but there are some there's like, well, it's sure. true. This is what I do well. Um, so yeah, without boasting, I'd love to hear what, okay. what you right. do well. Um, you know, I really value, and I think that I've done a pretty good job of keeping balance in my life and in my athletes' lives, because I'm really protective of their time and making sure that when their feet are on the ground and we're here and present in the gym, we're all here. But when they have time off, that they truly have time off. Um, I'm very approachable. My door is always open. They can contact me at any point, any time of day or night. Um, they know that if they are in need, that I am here for them. Um, but truly the balance, I'm like, I'm not going to have you in here at 6 a.m. I'm not going to keep you here till 10 p.m. at night. I said, we're going to train in the middle of the day. We're going to um, work hard. But I believe, truly believe in quality over the quantity. Um, I'm very protective of their um, time in the summer. Um, I don't believe that we need to train more in the summer. Um, you know, they're off for spring break. We give them off at Thanksgiving so that they can go home and be with their families. Um, so I think that, you know, the players that come to my program just know that I'm going to make sure that they have a well-rounded experience. You know, volleyball is important, but it's not everything. Yeah. Love that. Um Speaking of balance, you and you'd mentioned uh, Debbie Hill taking your first year off with kids. I noticed you had taken the fall of 06 off and then all of 11, if I understood, if I read that correctly, all of 11 off were the spring. You were you weren't there for the spring of 11. Is that correct? No, I took two fall seasons off uh, yep, because yep. I had I had um, in 11. I had uh, my daughter Caroline in August. August 2nd. And so I took off that and came back in January. And then the same thing with my son in 06, had him in late June and took the fall off. Yeah. So um, yeah. How's that play out? Do you go to your AD and say, Hey, I, I still want to coach. I just need, I need to, I need to have a child and care for my child. Yeah. How'd that play out? Yeah, right. I'm I'm so lucky and fortunate to have um, a department that um, championed the fact that women should be able to step away for a period of time and then come back in. Um, I also was really lucky that I had consistency in staff. I mean, Brent Hilliard and I have worked together for 20 years, um, and he 
by the time, so we started when Brent and I started, he wasn't married. I think, I don't think I was married. We were both so young. Um, and by the time that I had, you know, in 2006, we'd already been working together for six years. We had a lot of consistency in our training and our style um, and our expectations. Um, and I have to, you know, really kudos to him for not having this ego that felt like I couldn't step back in and, um, you know, take back over the, the role of head coach. Um, but which is part of my whole philosophy in hiring to also is just, you know, hire, hire people that do things better than you do so that you have this opportunity to lean on them when you need to, or, um, can learn from them. Um, so I was really, I mean, I was lucky in so many ways and I do hope that other women out there could find that I can step away and come back. Cause the other thing that I will tell you is that this cyclical job that we have, um, it's going to be there and it's going to keep going, whether you're standing there or not. And when you come back in it, you know, you can, you can get back on that, that carousel ride at any point. Um, just because you leave for one season, isn't going to, you know, rock, rock their world. We're not that important. (laughs) I was just going to say that it takes a level of humility to just recognize that, you know what, that the earth or, or, you know, San Diego volleyball is not just required of me to be there as the head coach. Like it'll be okay. If I step away, what if, if, if there's a uh, young female listening, what were the biggest challenges of stepping away for a season? Um, Yeah. What was the biggest challenges for you during those two falls that you were off? I mean, certainly I think that um, what you just said is is a benefit and a challenge knowing that things are going to operate without you and feeling insignificant in that period of time where they don't need me, you know, to continue to be successful that, you know, you you really have to check yourself and feel and feeling like sorry for your pitying the fact that, oh, gosh, you know, they're great. They don't even need me to be around. Um, that's that's first and foremost. But then when you do come back in. Um, feeling the confidence that um, you can step back into that arena and still have their respect. And um, so that takes, that's, you know, having the confidence is, is a tough one. When you're at home, um, which obviously I think is a great choice when you're at home, how hard was it to watch, to check scores? Like, what was that like for you? <laughs> yeah, that's extremely difficult because you're like, why are you starting that lineup? And why didn't you take a time out now? And you're constantly, you know, uh, checking, checking yourself for, okay, this is not, this is not my decision right now. Um, but what I was really, it was, we had such a great working relationship between Brent and I, I could talk to him during the week and ask him how things were going. Um, players still reached out to me about, you know, whatever their daily problems were in, in and outside of volleyball. Um, and, um, they would stop by and, you know, check in and see how the baby was, it was just, it was a good departure for them to see somebody, you know, doing something outside of, um, the role they only see you in as a, as coach, um, to realize, okay, yeah, no, this person is a mom too, um, and has a household and a family. And, um, you know, I feel like, having children has, has shaped me and changed me so much as a coach, you know, to, to realize, you know, everybody is somebody's daughter and the way that we communicate with them, the way that um, we hold them accountable for things, the way we um, approach their failures. um, You know, you want to be 
speaking to them in a way that you would feel good somebody speaking to your own daughter. Yeah, uh, for sure. So you mentioned uh, hiring and, and staff and um, yeah, just the idea of you want to hire good people that fill in your gaps. So what are those things that you feel like I need to hire somebody that fits this role because that's maybe not where I'm as strong. Right. Right. I mean, I have hired in as my associate head coach, um, what I think is, uh, you know, some of the best trainers, skill trainers, volleyball trainers in the country. Um, when I hired Brent Hilliard, you know, he, you know, national player of the year, played overseas, um, an Olympian, um, volleyball, you know, was the only thing that he needed to know. I said, I can do everything else. I want you to come in and teach me and help me train a team at a really high level. Um, which, and that was fantastic. Um, 20 years, we did not reinvent the wheel. We trained the same way. Um, same, a lot of the same drills. And, you know, we have 20 years of alumni that that will all speak the same language in terms of, Hey, I really want to, you know, rhythm pass today or whatever drill that they all really loved. They can speak that language. Um, so the hardest, um, time for me and, and hiring the next, you know, uh, replacement for Brent. Um, I really, I had read this book, the power of who by, um, Bob Boudin. It yep. was his birthday today, by the way, because my assistant, Jimmy Lundgren, is friends with him. Anyway, yeah. happy birthday. Um, anyway, that book really resonated with me because I'm like, I, I need to go out and see who knows who I am and knows who can help me. Um, so one of my former um, assistants, Marie Zydek, is the head coach at DePaul now. Um, and she is a big part of my who. Um, cause she really, she does, she understands who I am and what I need, but she is also in tune with a lot of younger people in the coaching industry, because I'm like, if you're under 40 now, I probably don't know who you are yeah. <laughs> just because the circles that we run in. And there's so many up and coming new coaches. Um, she knew. And so I said, who, give me a list, Marie, who do you think that I should be looking at? And she, um, she put me in touch with Alfred Reft, who was at Illinois, um, and uh, so I really I lean a lot on on what people think those in my circle that know me well and have good recommendations. And as soon as I um, spoke with Alfie a few times on the phone, I was like, yep, that's the person that's going to help me. Um, I was very fortunate to have him work with me for three, three seasons or I don't even know that whole COVID season with two seasons in a row. Yeah. I try to put that and, you know, forget that that year yeah. ever existed. Um but he's now the head coach at UCLA. Um, so and I was back at it again and said, okay, who, who now is in there? Right. And very fortunate um, to hire Carlos Moreno from Arizona state. So I've yeah. had a lot of good, a lot of really positive experiences with recommendations from people that know what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's good. Um, so if I just kind of reading between the, the, the lines here, seeing between the lines, uh, you're hiring guys or gals that are really adept at training, which then makes me think that your passion or your strength or your 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 leaning would be towards culture building, leadership, connection, that sort of thing. Is that fair? That is very fair. That is very fair. And I would say that was even more so when I was younger. But now I feel like I've worked with enough volleyball 
um, brains that I know what I want. Yeah. And I know what I want to see and I know what works. So it's more of a collaboration now with the, you know, the people that are on my staff than, um, than it used to be. Yeah. So how, so it sounds like the, the training aspect you've really grown in just by being around it. Yeah. How else have you evolved as a coach and leader over the last, since what, 99? Yeah. Since 99, I think that I'm still, I, I still trying to, you know, grasp the confidence that you've arrived, right? Because I feel like you are, that this is a profession where you are judged every year on what's happening now. It doesn't matter what happened in the past, but I feel like I have a decent amount of success behind me that I'm like, okay, well, this must be working. So let's keep going in this direction. But I mean, every year, um, I mean, my scheduling philosophy has always been, let's just play the best in the country and see where we might end up, right? Um, and that, philosophy has really paid off um, over the years because I think our team not only feels challenged and rewarded, but knows that in order to be the best, you have to play the best. And I'm not really sure how we got to that part of this conversation, but what was your initial question? (laughs) Ways that you've evolved as a coach or leader? Yeah, I think that I'm very comfortable, um, like I said, with the relationship part and um, Every year, when you talk about creating the leadership in your program, I think the upperclassmen in our program would know exactly what we're looking for and what it's going to look like at Mm -hmm. the end of their career. Um, So we're not um, every season um, redefining what San Diego volleyball is. I think it's got a pretty strong backbone and culture for what it's been for a long time. Yeah, very good. So side note, just as you mentioned scheduling, I looked at y'all's schedule and um Gosh, I think you opened up with Pitt this past year. Yeah. Um, and had some other tough teams. I think your first wa- loss was to number three Louisville, and then you play Ohio State and beat them. I, I looked at I that was my thought is like, dang, she loads up on her schedule. That's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Trust me. In the spring, I was like, whoa, this could be really rough. Um, but there was a in 2013, I did a similar thing where we opened up with um Texas, who won the national championship that previous year at Hawaii. And then we flew to Illinois or played Iowa state, Illinois came back, played USC, beat USC, who was then number one in the country. After a couple of weeks, we ended up being number two in the country. And I'm like, the only way that you're going to get that kind of credibility when you do play, um, you know, whether they call you mid-major or whatever they want to call you, you've got to play and get some respect from the programs out there that are riding in the top 10 and getting the ABCA votes. And um, so you got to play them. For sure. Have you ever had a year where you, you had a tough schedule and you guys got beat up a little bit? And if so, how do you work the psychology? Cause I think you mentioned it in the spring, you're looking at the fall schedule thinking, Holy cow, this could go South really quickly. Really fast. How do you like, I think the sports psychology of things is just really intriguing to me. To do it, it sounds great to say, "Hey, let's load up and challenge ourselves." That sounds great until you've lost five in a row and confidence is dwindling. Have you ever had a year like that where you loaded up, you took some lumps, and if so, how did you keep them psych- psychologically confident? Yeah, you really. I think for us, we really compartmentalize um, the phases of the season. Right, preseason is the opportunity to find out where do we need to get better. 
So you can't really judge yourself on the wins or losses. You just need to find out next week, okay, this is where we need to focus our efforts. And, you know, um, so after that preseason, regardless, if you come out, you know, 500 or above or below, wherever it is going into conference, you should be well-armed and well-prepared with a team that has had to battle. Um, and that's, you know, once we get into conference, I'm like, it's a clean slate. Everybody is undefeated right now. And so you can really have that you know, switch your mindset going into that next phase of, of um, the year and say, all right, let's start from scratch and, and, uh, and hope for success from then on out. For sure. So Nick Saban talks about the pro- the process. He talks a lot about the process. Is the in in each? It seems like the the really good coaches that I've been around they they generally hit on the same two or three or maybe four things. Like they just have this one constant refrain or this thing that they keep banging the drum on. What what is the thing that you're constantly talking about? Or a couple of things that you're constantly talking about uh, with to your to your team. Um. Well. A couple things, right? So one, we've spent a lot of time defining what it is, what our culture is, right? And we not only, you know, the the foundation of this whole, the pillars of our program, um, trust, resilience, and unity. Um, and, you know, s- defining those words, what they look like, what they don't look like, what they mean, how, when, when do you see them, when do they show up? Um, and built on top of that, um, were the pillars that we spent, you know, uh, usually we'll, we'll spend a, uh, an entire week just defining them in the spring and they change, you know, depending on which the pillar doesn't change, but the application changes, right? So you've got always compete, protect the team, um, get on board. And, uh, where is my, you would think that stay brave. Thank you. Um, and so this past spring, we've already spent each week trying to define what it looks like right now. What does it look like to protect the team in this point of the season where we just finished a final four run? Um, and, you know, those meant different things at that time. What does it mean to always compete? What does it mean to get on board? Um, because it's different. We've got a new staff. We just graduated six seniors. Um, you know, we are um, a lot of the kids that we're on the bench last year now have an opportunity to step into these big shoes. So all of those pillars are going to be different for going forward. Um, our process is to make a roadmap each week and have in the, in the locker room, they'll write the whole roadmap for just for that particular week in the process. Because I feel like if you get too far ahead of yourself, you can get lost in the, lost in the weeds. Um, and so each week is different, um, for what they need to prepare for, um, at what point in the, in the training process we're at, we just finished our eight hour weeks. Um, so those processes were a little bit more individual focused rather than how we're going to keep each other accountable as a team. Um, so I think that, you know, being really clear on what that process looks like for your individuals and as a team is probably, um, one of the most paramount things we do every Monday. And you do that as a team collaborative or okay. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe walk us through, you go into a team meeting on Monday, walk, give, give us insight into behind the scenes on that meeting. So um, like from, from January till this past, they're on spring break this week, but every week we divided it up and we decided, okay, this week we're going to talk the very first one, get on board. 
right? We talk about get on board. We split up into small groups. You know, what does get on board look like right now? What does it not look like right now? Hmm. Um, and then they report back from these small groups um, to talk about, um, you know, what could be the obstacles right now? And let's be realistic about the obstacles, because if you don't know the pitfalls, how can you know the avenues to get around, right? And to overcome. And so for us, clearly, you know, if, if we're not all on board right now with the fact that we might see, we're going to see change. We have a new trainer in the gym and we've got new voices in the, in the gym. We have people that need to fill roles that weren't there before. And that can bring around a lot of doubt and, um, you know, uncertainty for, and, and fear for what that's going to look like. So we have to be very cognizant that that's there, you know, that you can't, you can't skirt the issue. You have to take it head on. Um, and so once we do that and we, you know, we write on the board and all of the definitions and all of the, the actual situations that people see getting on board and what it looks like, um, then we'll go into the roadmap for the week and they will write down um, a checklist of things that they feel are going to be important at, at winning the week, at succeeding this week. And do you do any sort of recap from the previous week to say, hey, how'd we do? Yes, yes. Then at the end of the week, we go back and we'll check off, you know, and maybe and and you're not going to check everything off. I think yeah. that, you know, feeling like, oh, yeah, we accomplished all these things. They might have to continue on for another week or it might have to continue on for the entire season um, because it can't be things out there that are so easily easily grasped or, um, you know, won by the end of the week that you're not pushing yourself to be better. 